Hey guys, uh, welcome to week nine, where we're going to start talking about staff development um, or practitioner development. What does it look like for us as we move through um, our journey as practitioners? And we're going to be looking at this through um, the theoretical framework, the theoretical lens of developmental leadership that was put forward by Jack Phelan. So we're going to talk a little bit about what um, each of his levels, so he his theoretical framework is divvied up into three levels, level one, level two, level three. I like to think of them as level one is knowing, level two is doing, and level three is being, but that's just me. Um, so we're going to talk about what those levels kind of look like, um, what relationships often look like when we're kind of in that phase of our development, um, and then also uh, what some examples are of what that development um, can present as in the field. So yeah, I'm excited. Uh, let's go. So of course, if there's one thing we've learned in this course, it's that lifelong development is normal and healthy progression. Um, so when you're entering into a, a new job or a new position, part of your development is that you'll start at the beginning. And some common experiences of being new in a child and youth care role uh, can be feeling really unsafe, feeling overwhelmed, outside of your personal comfort zone, um, having frequent fight or flight reactions to situations, so really feeling like you have to moderate your own responses, um, feeling constantly under stress, so um, perhaps fear of, of having yourself get hurt, fear of hurting someone or damaging someone, fear of losing your job, fear of doing it wrong, um, and oftentimes we're looking for the safe people to connect to, so that can be other staff members, it can also be youth or families that we feel like are, are safe or, or maybe easier for us to connect with. And really, fear and anxiety are a normal part of starting a new position. So when we experience anxiety, it's normal to default to our lived experience. So sometimes what happens is our behaviors and thinking processes are related to keeping ourselves safe, moving towards feeling safe, moving towards feeling comfortable and confident in our workplace and relationships. Um, and that can go for like our relationships with kids, with peers, with families, with supervisors. Um, as well, it's normal for us to connect faster to people we see as being safe and consistent, whether they're staff, youth, or families, as I mentioned. So there's, there can be some real value in this perspective on safety because we're more likely in this stage to be attuned to the safety needs of the people we work with. And so because of that, our senses are likely heightened um, and we might notice things that other staff might miss. So because we are perhaps thinking about safety for ourselves, we might notice the safety needs of others more intentionally and pick up on things that others might not recognize. So while it can be difficult to be in this phase to feel like we're operating out of anxiety or out of worry or we're just trying to kind of get through the day without, you know, uh, having something happen to a child or having something happen to us or losing our job, um, that safety perspective can be really, really valuable at this phase, not just for us, but for the people around us. Um, in stage one, in level one, we're often looking for um, people outside of ourselves to imitate, which makes sense. Anytime that we're, we're new somewhere, we're often looking for more knowledgeable others. So, um, you know, when we're new at anything, it's normal to look to others as examples of how to do things well. Um, the huge value in this when you're new is that you're open to many perspectives. So by looking to other staff, you have the opportunity to observe different ways of doing things. And this is particularly relevant in an interdisciplinary team because you'll probably observe many different approaches, um, all of which have something, you know, a value that you can, can take from them.
Um, in this stage, um, we also often have a focus on justice and on compliance because that makes things um, safer and more predictable for us. And we can think of level one um, uh, as a time when we really need routine and structure. And so, um, because we need that routine and structure, again, um, we can sometimes be really helpful to the people that are around us, people that we're serving, um, because we can help children, youth, and families to develop skills of routine and structure, right? There are some, certainly some benefits um, to taking that kind of a perspective. Um, as well, when we're new, and this is my favorite uh, factor, my favorite characteristic of being new, um, is that we're often really idealistic. So I don't know about you guys, but I've certainly gone um, into some programs or started working somewhere and all, you know, right off the bat had a ton of ideas about how we could change it to make it better. Um, but that perspective can be really valuable because you see the potential for change. You know, we see the potential for change and potentially new ways to do things better and our fresh eyes can help programs to evolve. So these characteristics are really typical of a new worker in any position, notwithstanding that worker's years of experience. So I just want to make it clear, um, level one isn't necessarily a reflection of like you as a human being, as an individual. It's a reflection of your time and experience in a particular role. So even when you're somebody who has a lot of experience in the field, if you all of a sudden move and do something brand new, um, you're probably going to experience maybe a shortened version, but some version of level one, because you will need to get to understand the boundaries and the guidelines and the expectations and the routines um, of any new place that you work. And so there will be that time frame in which you need to establish safety. And so that's pretty typical. Um, it's a really important step in any worker's developmental journey. So even though it's not healthy or helpful to stay in level one forever, because it would mean you wouldn't be progressing or developing as a professional, it's a really important step and it's important not to skip it. In level one, relationships often look like modeling or imitation that occur by a youth or a family because the adult is an interesting person. Maybe it's safe interactions um, with a professional that, you know, as a practitioner include caring beyond the usual job requirements. Um, it might look like creating enjoyable activities that attract youth to be comfortable with us. We want to be recognizing each youth's special skills and abilities, um, but largely avoiding therapeutic topics or counseling interactions. So just really focusing on those comfortable, enjoyable activities and building foundational relationships through safe, caring interactions. So some examples of behavior that we would commonly see in kind of a level one staff or a staff who's thinking in that way would be things like asking for a manual or frequently referring to policy. I know when I started working in group care, I, I literally remember having this thought and it's funny because later on in my educational experience, Jack actually verbalized this thought, but I remember sitting in the office and something was going on with two of the female youth who were out in the kitchen. And I remember thinking, you know, can't they just write down every situation I might face and tell me what I'm supposed to do with it? Because on a single staff model, um, I had no idea how to handle the situation that was happening. And I wish that there was just a policy to tell me how to do everything. Obviously later on, we're really thankful that that kind of a policy manual doesn't exist. 
But um, that's all to say as well. So at level one, we're often really focused on like programming and compliance. So um, things like, you know, following the routines, major chores, making their beds, um, and being able to just check off the list, make sure we're doing our job correctly. This can result in power struggles with youth um, who, who don't understand why this is such a big deal for a new worker. Um, it's also a time when we're probably going to be offering lots of feedback or criticism of whatever program we're working in, but we may not have a lot of practical ideas for change because we don't have a lot of experience yet. Um, this is also a time that we might find ourselves like allocating lots of time to safe or nice youth or families or really aligning or agreeing with a youth or a family. I've certainly seen this in supervising staff who are working frontline with families um, that when they're when they're new, sometimes what will happen is um, they equate families being nice to them um, as families demonstrating change. And those are two very different things. Um, but I've seen, you know, practitioners at the beginning of their journey in family work really align with the people that just are nice to them, the ones that are easy to work with. Um, and that can be, not that we shouldn't be obviously relational, um, but when we're aligning or really joining with a, a family, um, you know, that can be, be challenging and eventually we will grow out of that. Um, again, sometimes what we're going to be doing is like frequently calling our supervisor or other staff when decisions need to be made. So not being confident in making the, the decisions kind of on the floor or in real time. Um, also we'll often default to our own experience. So I hear this a lot from staff who are actually with working with families or in group care, um, saying things like, well, when I was raising my kids, you know, this is what I did. Or when I was a teenager and again, not recognizing that like their worldview has shaped their log logic. And that's true for all of us. When we go somewhere new, we're again, we're defaulting to our lived experience. So we'll often say things like, or if we don't say it, think things like, well, in my family, that never would have been allowed right? That's normal at a level one. Um, and then also, also we're often going to look to our written rules to see how to proceed. So that's things like, you know, consequences, what happens if a youth is absent from care? Um, you know, what's the house ground? What is there a rule about no Wi-Fi? Um, you know, again, uh, this can also lead into power struggles, um, because we might have insistence on, you know, chores being done in a specific way or consequences being followed through in a very specific way. We want to check off that checklist. We want to ensure compliance and make sure that we're adhering to what we need to do. Again, there are benefits to taking this approach. It does help us to create reliability, predictability, and safety. But again, as we know from what we've discussed in this course, we just don't want to stay here forever. So it can be a really helpful stage. It's a necessary stage for us as we enter into a new role. Um, but we do want to progress into level two, and that's what we're going to talk about next. So we know we're at the end of kind of our level one experience when we're able to create a safe environment, when we're able to establish external control where and when needed, we're aware of the rules and routines, we can create predictability. Um, we're essentially just a competent and trustworthy worthy carer within the confines of our program. So whether we're working with youth, with families, um, you know, we don't have to use threats or coercion to control behavior. Um, we're able to manage it, manage any aggression that might come out or any really significant emotion. Um, when we give an instruction, youth or families generally listen, they generally adhere to that instruction. 
we're able to diffuse tense situation. We have comfort with routines. And often this also means we no longer call our supervisor every time a decision must be made. So when it's a concrete issue, we can make those decisions on our own. And that's how we know that we've kind of achieved that level one um, thinking. The other thing that I will say in my experience is that I think as I've shifted out of that, this like introductory stage in every new position I've been in, I've also really, really struggled in the transition at the end of, of level one. Um, because this is the time that you also often start rethinking the way that you're doing things and, you know, reconsidering, um, you know, is compliance what our end goal really is? You know, is external control the best way to create change? And so you've developed this safety, um, you know, and predictability and routine, but almost as soon as you feel really comfortable in that, it's like, oh, is this really the best thing that we could do for the children, youth, and families we work with? And I know for me, those have been the times that I've experienced a lot of frustration um, and that's true in every role I've been in, you know, when I was a family wellness worker or a family wellness coach, and I was, you know, supporting, um, family time or visitation all the way up to working in like senior level management. Every time I've started a new role, I've gone through a time period kind of, you know, about, I would say like nine months to 18 months in depending on the role where I was all of a sudden just really angry that I felt like the things that we we're doing, weren't working. The things I was doing wasn't working. It wasn't the most effective way to do things. Um, and that's actually a really good sign. So what I'll encourage you is this is when lots of people decide this field is not for them, but I would encourage you to push through it. The best advice that I probably ever got from Jack, well, the second best advice that I probably ever got from Jack was, um, that you need to stick it out for at least a year in a position somewhere so that you can get over that hump and understand what it means to move into level two thinking um, in that role. And once you do that in any position, you can do that in, in every position after that. Um, and honestly, that's what's kept me in my job. And I think it's what what's helped me to developmentally progress because there were lots of times I was ready to throw in the towel um, in my in my role. And um, by, by pushing through and really working through these issues in supervision and in reflection in my own reading, um, you know, I've been able to kind of come out the other side. So that's just my encouragement to you as, as we look at that shift from the end of level one to the beginning of level two. Okay, so as we enter into level two, and I think I mentioned at the beginning, this for me in my mind is the doing stage. So if level one is the knowing stage, level two is the doing stage. Um, so this is where we often start feeling comfortable and competent with technical or administrative requirements. So, you know, we know how the the individual's like file is maintained. You know, we know what the routines are in the house after school. You know, we know what major chores look like. Um, so our basic questions are answered. We have relationships with our team members. We have a clear understanding of expectation of expectations. And then we also have, as I, I mentioned in the transition conversation, a growing awareness of dissonance between how we've been practicing at level one and what we've actually learned in school. So oftentimes this is where those developmental theories will start kind of bouncing back into your brain. And this is where my frustration came from because all of a sudden I was saying, oh my gosh, you know, I feel like whatever I could, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident and fairly comfortable with, you know, the routines and the structure of this role, but it's really not 
in my mind, therapeutic in the way that I wanted to be therapeutic or developmentally informed in the way I wanted to be developmentally informed. So we start to see those developmental ideas as really useful again. Um, and I, I mentioned then as well, of course, it's common for us as a result to question our career choices or our ability to do this job because we're often actually grieving that loss of safety, right? We, we have to take a step in, uh, in level two of actually releasing some of that external control. So once we start recognizing that developmental ideas are useful and we want to start building internal control in others, once we've established safety, we need to start loosening some of that external control and giving the youth and families opportunities to succeed and fail um, and to develop their own internal locus of control. And that can be really scary and it can feel like grieving for us because it's a real developmental transition. This is often also um, when you know, we start focusing more on relationship, but we're seeing relationship and program objectives or case plans as separate buckets. So, um, you know, relationship is certainly a focus of what we're doing, but we may not yet be able to integrate kind of program objectives and case plans, um, with that relationship. Um, but we are also going to be focusing more on our relational work in general. So we're starting to see relationship as the foundation for change. We're recognizing that, you know, the behaviors of the people we're working with aren't about us. So we have a little bit less egocentric thinking. Um, we're not taking things as personally and that's just because we feel more safe. So we're not as worried about taking things personally. Um, we've got an increased capacity for complexity. We have increased comfort in making intuitive decisions or collaborative decisions about treatment. And this is often when we want to be really creative. So we want to revamp things. We want to be on working groups. We want to ask for other projects. We want to spend energy on passion projects and really create change. Um, and this is often, um, you know, also the time that we start having a growing awareness of the way that we show up in the life space. So we become more and more aware of how our presence helpfully or unhelpfully impacts others, um, and how we can mitigate, mitigate triggers. Um, and then eventually as we progress through stage two, we start seeing that relationship and program objectives and case planning as, um, you know, more, uh, copacetic, I'll say they work together. So they're not separate, um, buckets anymore. They're, you know, kind of different colored water in the same bucket mixing. Um, and so we see them as being kind of integral to one another. Um, and then we just, uh, increase in our confidence. So, um, you know, we're focused on, kind of promoting and achieving that positive change or supporting others to promote and achieve that positive change. Relationships at level two often involve creating relational connections that include personal discussions. So this includes um, comfortable and appropriate self-disclosure by the adult or by the practitioner, um, which can be really useful. Um, this is also where we're going to start acknowledging the developmental logic of the youth. So first of all, by our responses to behavioral issues, um, but also by verbal description. So we're going to be speaking in a way that makes sense to, to a youth or to a family. Um, you know, our, our individual approaches are tailored to the needs of the youth or family. Um, so we're starting to do that. Um, we see the relational strength increase and therefore external control can decrease, um, and developmental rather than behavioral issues are the focus. Okay. So examples of level two, um, behavior in a staff member 
would be things like, um, you know, giving multiple cues for chores to be done. We might still use a preemptive consequence as a motivator, like, okay, no Wi-Fi till chores are done, but we're going to be less regimented on time and structure of chores. And we're also going to be using every life-space activity as an opportunity to relationally connect. So that means we're getting, we're pitching in, we're also doing those chores. There's likely to be fewer power struggles. Um, and we're using relationship and logical discourse to encourage youth um, to make good decisions. So this is when we're really, really trying to speak to their developmental stage with that developmental empathy um, in a way that makes sense for them to encourage them to, you know, come home and be safe, to encourage them to, you know, complete their homework, to encourage them to do the things that they need to do, they've indicated they want to do. Um, and, you know, then... This is when we're also starting to look into the reasons behind the behavior um, and really understanding those and, and trying to meet some of those unmet needs. Um, and then we're also using relational techniques to help teach importance of the tasks and then to note where an individual or a family's at in regards to their ability to complete that task. We're going to be using positive reinforcement for attempts and for completed work. Um, and then if things are not being done, we're going to want to document those. Um, but we want to discuss them, whether it's with a family, with a parent, with a youth, using relational techniques when appropriate, being really aware of their developmental capacity at that time. Um, and, um, you know, again, relying on that relationship, um, to help us have some of those conversations about, um, you know, positive change. Okay. So we know that we have, you know, gotten to the point of, you know, kind of end of our, our level two thinking when there's always more focus on the individual serve than on the worker. When we've really reduced our use of external control, when we're noticing that we're really loving training again, we're readily absorbing new practices, new perspectives, new language, new ways of working. Um, you know, when we become capable of doing things differently, when strategies aren't working, because it certainly isn't one size fits all. When we're able to anticipate uncertainty because we know that youth and families are going to experiment with being responsible for themselves and, and they're not going to succeed all the time, you know, our goal is to help them build on successes, um, but it doesn't mean that there's never going to be failures, challenges, or setbacks. Um, and in that, we really recognize that their progress is not reflective of, of the practitioner. So we can encourage experiments with choices and increase our empathy for, for developmental logic differences. You know, we know the behavior is not about us. So again, we're taking responsibility for, um, you know, supporting the child, child, youth or family, um, in terms of their case planning, in terms of, um, progressing developmentally. Um, but we're also ultimately recognizing that that process isn't a reflection of us. Um, and then, um, you know, we want to really be able to individualize our interactions. So for every youth and family, really individualizing the way that we're interacting, the way that we're entering the space between, and we're able to be creative in how we do that. And we often start to feel a really solid sense of our professional identity. So we're able to articulate, um, you know, our, our therapeutic approach. We're able to articulate our, um, you know, theoretical frameworks. And so we're feeling really strong in ourselves as professionals. Okay, so I was also going to talk about level three today, um, but I think 
that's going to make this a very long podcast. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually embed our conversation about the level three thinking experience um, in next week's conversation about socialized and self-authoring thinkers, because I actually think it's a better fit there anyways. We can talk about the significant transition that happens um, as we shift into level three thinking as a you know mature practitioner. Um, so yeah, that's it for this week. Um, I would just really encourage you as you're listening to consider those areas of dynamic tension, um, you know, and that tension that exists anytime that we're developing. Um, and yeah, reflect on your own experience, whether, you know, this theoretical framework fits your experience, whether it doesn't, what you might challenge in it, what you might agree with. Um, and then we're going to discuss that in the discussion board and in our live session. So have a great week and I'll see you next Thursday.